welcome to Faith of Our Fathers. Today's preacher is Donald Gray Barnhouse, an evangelist of incredible intellect, extraordinary language skills, and a true expositor of the scriptures. Today, Dr. Barnhouse presents a study on the temptation of Christ. was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered unto him. Now when we compare the Gospels, we discover that the story of the temptation, as recorded in Matthew and Luke, goes into much greater detail than this. This is characteristic of Mark, driving straight through. Already we are but 13 verses in the gospel and we have set before us the whole of the work of John the Baptist and the introductory ministry of Jesus Christ. What takes 13 verses in Mark covers chapters in the other gospels. And yet there's a phrase here that Mark the servant includes that is not to be found in the other gospels that Jesus was there in the wilderness he was driven there by the Spirit, and it was the Holy Spirit who urged him that he might go. The Lord Jesus had come from heaven for a purpose. This was the rebel province. A, if we put it in terms of a large ranch, a squatter had come and taken a corner of the whole and had defied the owner, saying that the territory was his. Or if we take it in larger terms, a prince had rebelled and said that he was now master of the province. Lucifer had become Satan, and he had said, this world, this speck of dust as we know it to be now, but he said, this is mine. And the Lord Jesus Christ was now coming down to proceed to the dislodgement in orderly fashion of this great enemy. We are living in the midst of that battle. Or we are living rather in the mopping up period. The battle was fought and won when Jesus was here on earth and when he went to the cross and died. Now, there's merely the skirmishing of the end until the time when the Lord shall come forth from glory and shall rule with a rod of iron and establish his kingdom fully upon earth by virtue of that which he did when he was here before. As soon as the Lord Jesus Christ had been identified as the Messiah, for there is the true significance of his baptism, this was not a baptism for the remission of sins, but his identification as the Messiah, the Holy Spirit immediately drove him right to the one who was in charge of the province. Now, God deals always in an orderly fashion. If we turn to the book of Ezekiel, we discover that when the devil was first created as Lucifer, when he was yet the shining one, the cherub that was anointed to govern, he was established over this earth by God as prophet and priest and king. He was God's prophet. He spoke for the universe on behalf of God. He was God's priest. He took the worship of the universe to God. He was God's king. God set Satan 
as Lucifer, rather, as the prime minister of the universe, until he rebelled and said, I am so wonderful and wise, I do not need to get information from God. I can administer from my own knowledge and power, and I am so wonderful that I do not have to give all of the credit to God. I can take some of the credit for myself. Now that double intervention in the channel of administration and worship is the original sin that came into this universe. It is the taking of authority from oneself and taking the credit to oneself. The Bible in the Old Testament describes it in terms of merchandise, that a man, the multitude of the merchandise had corrupted him. Now merchandise is different things for different people. A banker's merchandise is credit. A model's merchandise is her ability to model an expensive gown and create an illusion in the mind of some woman that she possibly could look like that if she bought it. A lawyer's uh, merchandise is his ability to sway a jury. A preacher's merchandise is the need of the people for blessing and the fact that he has uh, the blessing from the word of God. Now if a cashier in a bank takes money and puts some of it in his own pocket and as he hands it back, puts some in his own pocket, they soon put him in jail. That's exactly what the devil did. He said, I'll take some of the credit for myself and I can originate some of the authority from myself. And by that entrance in of his own merchandise, by his malversation, by his turning to his own credit and profit, and by wanting his own way, the sin of Satan had come into the universe. In the New Testament it says, Never ordain a young convert, lest being filled with pride he fall into the condemnation of the devil. But in the great passage where it first describes the setting up of Lucifer in the authority over the earth, God Almighty said, Thou art the cherub that is anointed to govern, and I have set thee so. It's an extremely important verse and, un and lets us understand this phrase immediately, the Spirit driveth Jesus into the wilderness. God had set Lucifer in charge of this earth. He had rebelled and God had never touched his power. He had proceeded on the assumption, we'll give it a trial. We will now see what a will apart from my will can do. What can come from someone who says, I am capable? In doing something of which God knew, of course, there was no possible capability. Now when Jesus Christ arrives on this territory and is officially proclaimed by God as his ambassador, he immediately makes his protocol visit to the devil. Just exactly as when an ambassador arrives in this country, the first thing he has to do is go and present his credentials to the White House. And when our ambassador goes to Moscow, he immediately must go and present his credentials. So it is the Lord Jesus Christ arrived, and when the time had come that he had grown up and was now about to become officially the Savior and move in to the problem that had been created by the rebellion of this prince in the province of earth, the Lord Jesus Christ went straight to Satan. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days and tempted of the devil. 
the devil began to bring great stresses against him. Now, there have been people who thought that it was possible for Jesus to sin. We've recently been uh, somewhat occupied in a distant city from here with correspondence and with friends over the fact that a woman who is a fundamental woman, fine woman teaching Bible classes in that city has become uh, greatly occupied with the idea that, of course, Jesus could have sinned, that after all, he was just a member of the human race and he could have sinned. Theologically, that's not true, and she did not realize, undoubtedly, the implications of this great heresy. Her error came from the fact that she did not understand the true nature of humanity. What is humanity? Well, you say humanity are people who die and who sin and who are sick and who go out and lie and cheat and steal. That's not true. That is fallen humanity. Fallen humanity is something quite different from true humanity. And if she pushed back once farther and would say, well, after all, then we'll say that Jesus was made just like Adam, but he wasn't. And in 1 Corinthians 15, we have the great, great statement, the first man, Adam, was of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. The first Adam was a living soul. The second Adam is a life-giving spirit. A living soul, that is a soul who has life by dependence upon God, and a life-giving spirit, which is the source and spring giving. Well, someone says, wasn't Jesus Christ exactly like me? No, he was not. Thank God he did not have certain things that we had. The Lord Jesus never sinned, and there were certain things that he never could have done. Someone says, but it says in Hebrews he was tempted in all points like as we are. And the definition of points immediately becomes very important. We are tempted from three points. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Christ was tempted in all points like as we are except the point of sin, flesh. Years ago in the early part of my ministry, in fact when my young medical doctor son was seven or eight years of age, I preached on that from this pulpit and when I went home at dinner time he said daddy I know a temptation that I've had that Jesus never had I said what David he said he was never tempted to tell a second lie to cover up a first one and there is no doubt of the fact that there are many other things if you analyze it you'll see immediately that thank God the Lord Jesus did not have the risings of fallen nature he didn't have the fallen nature he was never tempted to defeat after continual... He was never tempted to despair after continual defeats, as you and I are. Oh, thank God the Lord Jesus Christ was of that perfect humanity that was combined, of course, with deity. They were not separate. He was not a divine man, nor was he a human god. He was the God-man, only once in the universe appearing, and come in order to do this specific job. Now, when we understand, if I may use the word psychology and apply it to Satan, because psuche, of course, means the, the soul of man, but if I can apply the word psychology to Satan, if we understand the psychology of Satan, we can see exactly what he wanted. He was pride-hungry. He wanted the credit, and he wanted to appear big. He was frustrated 
through millions of years of waiting because when Satan had said, I will be like the Most High, God had just simply reached down and touched this earth and it became without form and void and darkness covered the face of the deep. The sun was reduced from its present magnitude to a star of much lesser magnitude as we know that stars rise and fall and all the moisture of the world was precipitated upon this earth and glaciers cut and scarred the surface of the earth to Africa and back and continents rose and fell in the upheaval of con continents and for millions of years we know from many things for millions of years this shell-shocked sin-scarred earth showed the marks of the judgment of God and this wonderful engineer the devil who had said I can run things couldn't even ditch, dam, and dredge this earth and restore it to a place where it could be fertile as a garden. And there he was, if we may use the phrase, biting his fingernails for millions of years and totally unable to cope with a minor engineering problem. And suddenly, God said, let there be light. And all of the angelic universe saw the scarred cadaver of this world which had been Satan's beautiful domain. And it was seen that he who had said, I'm so wonderful I can run it all, had been unable to cope with a mere problem of a minor hurricane that had turned the earth not into the judgment that it will know in the future, but into the shapeless mass that was there for those millennia. And of course, there was the first terrible frustration manifested before all the universe. And yet God did not destitute Satan of his power and his control, but he reorganized it right under his nose and put man there, a little bit of man, a hundred and some odd pounds, the only animal being in the world that does not produce its own fur or feathers but has to live on the rest of creation for clothing. And thus it was that man was there and God said, I propose to redeem this earth by that little mammalian invertebrated metazoa homo sapiens man. And it must have been extremely degrading, devastating for Lucifer suddenly to see that God said, uh, a being so, so nothing as man shall be the ultimate triumph of this world. And finally, when Jesus Christ came, he came lower than the angels. And as soon as he is identified as God's man, he walks straight out into the wilderness to Lucifer and says to Satan, this is it. The first phrase of Satan was, well, since thou art the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. Now, when it says if, there was no if of doubt. Satan knew whom he was confronting. He knew very well that this was the Lord Jehovah of hosts made flesh. And undoubtedly, and I pass over this part of it very lightly because I have treated it at length here before, the first emphasis of Satan's testimony was don't meet me as a man, meet me as God. I know no better illustration if I had to come in here with a big black eye and told you that a little man five feet tall on the street met me and stood up to me and hit me 
over something that would be rather demeaning. But if I said, well, I was walking through the lobby of the Warwick Hotel and I, I just happened to step on the corn of the world's champion prize fighter, Rocky Murciano or something, and he turned and hit it, you know, man could almost go around Philadelphian pride and say, look, I got this from the world's champion. Well, uh, that is the idea that's in the psychology of Lucifer when Jesus came out into the desert uh, to meet him. The devil said, look, don't knock me down as a man. That would be too demeaning. I'm so great and you're so little and puny. Uh, beat me as God. Then I can go back and say, well, after all, it took God to do it. And the Lord Jesus Christ said, I've come forth in simple humanity. And his first answer to Satan was, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And he immediately furnished the example for every one of us that we are capable of overcoming temptation, that you and I are capable of meeting Satan if we will use the techniques that were manifested for us by the eternal Son of God when he came, not with browbeating power to say, I am able to impose my might upon you, but by a simplicity of yieldedness that says, O oh God, here is an utterly empty vessel Fill it with thyself. Luther understood that. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? Lord, here is emptiness. Fill it with thyself. And God later said to Paul, My strength is made perfect in weakness. And that was the principle that was now being set forth here. And the second temptation, and again I pass over it but lightly, the devil immediately tempted him to fanaticism. That's wonderful. You're going to meet me as a man. Man? You're going to trust in the word of God? Man shall live by every word? Man? Man? You're going to meet me as man and trust in the word of God? You know, I'm somewhat of a Bible student myself, said the devil. And I, I found a verse back here in the Psalms that says he shall give his angels charge over thee. Now, you don't have to go all this rough way to the cross. I'm willing to bow out of the picture and leave. I'll just turn over the province and go... Uh, if you just do it my way and then and, and I'll, I'll withdraw naturally you you go up there on top of this pinnacle of the temple now you see there's the crowd down there and here's a verse in the Bible and you know you're going to trust in the Bible you are you are now uh, just jump off and the crowd will say oh look there's a man falling and then suddenly you float down and they'll say this is the Messiah and you will have done this by trusting in the Psalms he shall give his angels charge over thee they shall keep thee in all thy way and bear thee up lest thou dash thy foot against the stone. And again Jesus answered as a man and he said it is written thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. I was telling this just this week discussing this with some friends and, and they said but that's a contradiction of what you said about the first for they had thought that the devil was saying to him thou the devil shall not tempt the Lord thy God, Jesus, and Jesus was not saying that at all. The devil had said, you, Jesus, put your trust in a word and be a fanatic and trust this that way. And Jesus was said, I am not going to tempt God my Father. I am not going to go against his will. I am not going to make any rules in connection with him. It is written, thou shalt not test the Lord thy God, and I am not, as a man, am not going to go into... Any fanaticism, it shall be as God leads, not at my direction. I shall not take hold of things and say, God, we'll have a magnificent demonstration. 
and we put on a good Hollywood act because you know the nature of these people down there. They'll go for anything that has Hollywoodism in connection with it. The Lord says we're not going to use that type of thing. And now, lastly, here comes the inwardness of all this. For the third of these temptations reveals the nature of what sin is. And I know nothing more calculated to open the heart of a man and to show us what we really are in ourselves and how much we need God than to see the cringing, crawling coward now come and say, Look, look, I'm willing to lay all down the cards all down on the table. I, I'm hungry. I'm thirsty for credit. I, I want a little credit. I, I want you to admit that I'm wonderful. Please give me a little credit. I, the first time I ever woke to consciousness, I looked out and saw the multitude of the angels and I realized immediately that I was wiser than they, that I was more wonderful than they, and here I was, and I, I want credit. And, and if you just once will get down on your knees in front of me and worship me. Now understand the meaning of the word worship. Worship is the lazy pronunciation of our ancestors who couldn't put TH in the middle of a word. It's like little Willie saying going and coming and doing and being because it's easier than to put the G on the end of the word. Well, worship is worth-ship. Now anytime you put the suffix ship in the Anglo-Saxon on the end of a word, it means equality of being, friendship, fellowship, worth-ship. Oh, could I speak the matchless worth? Oh, could I sound the glories forth which in my Savior shine? Now, says the devil, if you'll just acknowledge my worth, if you'll just admit before the universe, if I could just see you once down in front of me, my drooling pride would be so satisfied that I could go off and moon over that for all of the rest of my being. I told you a little earlier of having read in the Saturday Review a review of these ironical, sarcastic, half-dozen-line poems characterizing different people. And the Saturday Review quoted one concerning an actor. He was a total failure as Hamlet. He was a total failure as King Lear. But the rest of his life, daily, he played completely his greatest role himself. And this ham actor playing himself to the hilt, that's exactly what Lucifer was. And he was saying... I will forever and ever be able to withdraw into my mentality and remember the fact that Jesus groveled at my feet and that's all I want. And that was the third temptation. And the Lord Jesus answered and said, It is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. Now, in the Gospel of Luke, in the giving forth of this testimony, there's an extremely interesting series of words. The devil takes Jesus into the mountain and shows him the kingdoms of the world. Now listen to the order. He said he showed them the kingdoms of the earth and said, all this power and the glory thereof, they are mine. He was banking on Ezekiel 28. God had installed him. He said, even you, when you come forth from heaven, you present your ambassadorial 
credentials according to protocol. You recognize that I was inaugurated as chief of this province. And when you've stepped into it, you've come to me. And all of this, the kingdom and power and glory is mine. And the Lord says, Thou shalt worship God. And he went from there onto the mountain where he preached the Sermon on the Mount. And he called the disciples together and said, When you pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And don't put us to the test. Lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now the devil had just said, Mine is the kingdom, the power and the glory. And Jesus said, You're going to follow me, my children? Then begin by saying, Thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory. It's very interesting to me that in the Middle Ages, the devil saw to it that that last sentence of the Lord's Prayer got omitted from some manuscripts. So much so that manuscript students say, should this be in or should it not be in? That's very consistent with the devil. For it must be as humiliating to him as anything else. One more mouthful of dust, gravel in his mouth. To have millions of people every day praying for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. When he had just said to Jesus, mine is the kingdom, the power and the glory. And the devil left. And then Jesus had some good company for a while compared with what he was about to have. For he was with the wild beasts. Far better than men. We read in the scripture this morning there in the 11th chapter of Luke this gang of cutthroat ministerial union Pharisees the head of the whole religious and secular life of the country that hung on his words to try to trap him. Oh, I wonder if Jesus didn't remember some of those 40 days when he was with the wild beasts. Wonderful phrase. Stirs the imagination. Back in Isaiah he says, the ox knoweth its owner and the ass his master's crib, but my people do not know me. My people do not remember. Another time he spoke of wild beasts, he says, the foxes have holes. I wonder if he learned it here in these days. The birds of the air have their nests, but the son of man hath not where to lay his head. And there those days, those 40 days, the Lord Jesus was there. Wild beasts were with him. I don't think the lions tried to devour him. He was the creator. I rather imagine that in those days, out in the desert, that the animals knew their God. He had come to his own people, and his own people received him not. And now the angels ministered unto him. And I like that picture of my Lord having come into a rebel province, having confront, confronted the ruling prince, having declared the principles of victory and announced the frustration of defeat, being there alone among the wild animals. And the angels of God come now. Quiet, son of God. Your hunger may now be satisfied. God fed Elijah with the ravens. God fed the widow with the cruise of oil, and God sends us angels now. 
Your time of hunger is over. Here is bread, here is food. And the angels ministered unto him. And the Lord Jesus went back from the friendly wild beasts to face our ancestors who crucified him. Shall we bow in prayer? Our God and Father, we thank thee for thy graciousness to us. How wonderful. May we indeed be willing to look down and see ourselves as thou dost see it. And accept thy verdict. And turn away in horror from what we see in ourselves. And forevermore fix our gaze upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And recognize that in him is our salvation and all that we need. We give thee the praise forever through him. Amen. You've been listening to Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse. Listen to Faith of Our Fathers each Saturday and Sunday to hear more great 20th century preachers.